This week on Heads and Tails, we learn how to roll with the punches with Charlie the Spaniard Brenneman. This is Kevin Som. You're listening to the Heads and Tails podcast. We share stories of perseverance and inspiration in sports and in life. One of Charlie's favorite quotes comes from the movie Rocky when he says to his son, The world ain't all sunshine and rainbows. It's a very mean and nasty place, and no matter how tough you think you are, it'll always beat you down if you let it. It ain't about how hard you get hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much can you take and keep moving forward? That's how winning is done. Charlie has continually done this his whole life, and we get a first-hand look into how Charlie was able to pick himself up time and time again. Before we get any further into this episode, I want to remind you guys to please subscribe on iTunes uh, and Stitcher and leave us a review, and this way that, that helps us spread our message further and further each week. Right, if you never want to miss an episode, make sure you follow us on Instagram, at old, uh, Heads and Tails, that's Heads as in multiple heads, with the letter N, and then Tails spelled T-A-L-E-S. Uh, same thing goes on Twitter, just add a little P-O-D on the end, and search for us on Facebook. And without further ado, here's Charlie, the Spaniard Brenneman. I generally don't think anything. I just think whatever. I'm a normal person who lives on a normal street. Right. So it's hard for me to think step outside. Yeah, yeah, step yeah. outside. And, but then when I'm looking, I'm like, oh, I guess I've done some it's pretty, pretty cool. things. Yeah. yeah, I've done some pretty neat things. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, all right, so we'll get going. All right, so this week on Heads and Tails, I'm interviewing Charlie the Spaniard Brenneman, a former D1 wrestler, Spanish teacher, UFC athlete, pros versus Joe's champion, motivational speaker, and author of the autobiography, Driven. Um, and although he doesn't always drink beer, when he does, he prefers Dos Equis because he is the most interesting man in the world. <laughs> he doesn't really drink beer anymore. <laughs> I wouldn't think he would, but when I was writing that down your, your intro, I was like, this is the most interesting man in the I world. I tell you what, the only time I drink beer anymore is when I grill. And I grill in the summer, and I only do it because that's what my brothers and my dad did. Okay, so yeah. I just drink a beer when One I grill. One in Rome. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right, so Charlie experienced uh, a lot of obstacles that he overcame to kind of achieve his goals. And he always has this burning desire in him to do something you know, great and extraordinary with his life. And I read his book, and it was awesome. And after this episode, you should go over to Amazon and, and buy it, and we'll have him plug it at the end. Um, we're just going to talk about some of the injuries he went through and how he overcame that and just kind of the, the mentality of an athlete to get to the top. Um, so, Charlie, what sports did you play growing up and stuff like that? I, uh, when I was eight years old, I started wrestling. So the sport of wrestling is me to a T. So if someone asks what I do or who I am, uh, I always say fighting is what I do. Wrestling is who I am. Okay. And I, I look at that and, and having just gone the last couple of weeks in Division One Nationals wherever in New York and before that Pennsylvania High School States, went and watching all these guys. And it's just the, the, the sport of wrestling for me, especially the sport of wrestling, I'm sure for other people they have other sports you know that they prefer, but just the purity of it. And the lessons and being front and center in front of it's thousands just you, of right? just yeah. you. And there's no money. There's no fame. There's no sponsorships. It's you and a dream that you had since you were a kid. Right. I always – the way our high school was, like, we had a weight room. And then there's the wrestling room that was attached to it by, like, a, this glass door. And we'd be working out in the, the winter in the weight room for football while the wrestling kids were practicing. And this window would be all fogged up and steamed up. There'd be, like, handprints sliding down it. People were writing, like, help me yeah, on there. Yeah. I was like – <laughs> I definitely don't want to do that. It's one of those things that you do and you love 
but you hate, and then when it's gone, you love it and you wish you had it. Right. Do you see any benefit to being a multi a multi sport athlete? Like, did playing other sports help you in wrestling? You know, I don't know that it helped me in wrestling, um, but I do definitely see the benefit in being a multi sport athlete, especially at a young age. And there's a thing now where it's like, you know, isolation or just specification from a young age. Kids need to experience. Kids need to do. Right. And then when you're in tenth, eleventh, twelfth grade, then specialize. Then you specialize. Yeah, but I do think you know playing baseball, my hand-eye coordination, playing football with again different ways of controlling my body. Right. You know, I, I absolutely think it helped. And I think wrestling definitely translates into a lot of sports too, like especially football. Like some of the best football players on my team were all wrestlers. Yep. So yeah, and that's another thing with coaches. Smaller schools, a lot of times they'll encourage to play multiple sports, but a lot of times it's like, no, my football's playing football, my, my wrestler's wrestling, but it's like they perfectly complement each other. Right. Um, did you have any, like, goal-setting strategies as a kid um, in terms of wrestling? Yeah, I talk about this a lot. So I do a lot of speaking with young people, and right. I talk about setting and pursuing goals. For me, it all started at a very young age with my vision. I knew what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to be a wrestler. I was raised in a wrestling family. My dad, my uncle, my brother's my community it was a wrestling community and i was surrounded with it so i knew i wanted to do that and f for as long as i can remember wanting anything i wanted to be a piwa state champ All right so that leads nicely into qualifying for the the state finals twice and you came up short both times um so can you talk us through like what was going through your head at that time? I know in your book you talk about self doubt and that's something that every athlete does and that i've done and like when I was reading it in your book, I was thinking about like what I do or what like I did as a athlete. And I did the same exact thing. It's like, why me? Like, why, why should I, you know, win this or yep. that? Um, so can you talk about, you know, what kind of, what was going through your head and what, where you think you fell short? Yeah. You know, I got to state finals two years in a row, my junior and senior year. And, and that was an opportunity, the first opportunity in my life where I really had to accomplish a life goal. That was it. That was my first life goal to win a state championship. Right, and I did. I wanted to do that too in football. Uh, yep. Yeah. And did you win? No. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I got helicoptered off the field but, <laughs> with my bleeding brain. But. True. But what we'll learn is it's not all about that. Right. Um, but I, uh, I, I remember thinking before my junior year. I remember thinking in my head, you know, I'm kind of overmatched. This guy's really good. He dropped down a weight class. He's bigger, older. Those are my thoughts. Right. Obviously, not good thoughts. No. Going into my senior year. It was kind of like I forgot I had to perform. I forgot that, I mean, that there were two guys vying for a state title, and I was just one of the two. Right. And I went out there, and the, I took them down right off the bat. And then the first sign of adversity, it was like the whole world just, turned in my mind, turned against me. And it was like, oh, I'm going to do it again. And then as right, soon as right. I felt that, it was just a downward, downward spiral. Yeah, having those negative thoughts in your head, right? Um, so how did you deal with those two losses afterwards? <clears throat> It, pretty rough. I mean, immediately afterwards, I was 18 years old, but I still say now it was one of the most painful experiences of my life, losing losing that second state title. It, it was the top three worst moments of my of my life. Right. And I didn't I didn't know how to handle it then, so I just cried and cried and cried and cried and felt like you know felt terrible. And and a, a teammate of mine whom we didn't get along, uh, he won a state title, so it was it was rubbed right Even, in my face. Yeah, that's it was rubbed tough, right yeah. in my face. So it was just. It was just dealing with it. I, would, I wouldn't say that I dealt with it with a strategy. I would say that I endured it, and on the other end, I'm a much stronger person. Right. Uh, I had, like, a similar thing. Not that I got to the state championship or achieved any level of success that you did in athletics, but when I couldn't play football anymore, it was I felt like it was taken away from me, and it was tough for me to have the 
following year's team succeed they were like succeeding without me and i would like i'd be crying and call my mom at home and be like feeling really bad for myself so i've felt felt what you felt um to maybe a lesser degree but um all right so what what did you learn from those two experiences going into your your college career well to be honest the, the those two years had a pretty negative impact on the beginning much of my college career so i went into college still with that doubt that that I didn't achieve my goals I'm not a state champion and that as an 18 year old kid walking into a wrestling room full of animals you know 22 year old animals didn't play in my favor and unfortunately that I didn't have a terrible collegiate season I was I was a 500 wrestler until my senior year and my senior year is when I really excelled and and I had a great season thankfully but I just allowed that negativity from those two, two state championships to carry on with me for the next four years. Um, what was your favorite memory from high school wrestling? There's a lot of them. You know, looking back, I look at my state medals hanging on my parents' wall, and I get a a really big source of pride from it. So while those two matches are the most painful. So even just to get there, it's a big accomplishment. And look at it now. All right, cool. Um, So why did you choose to go to Lock Haven? What was it about the school that made you want to go there? Was it your relationship with the coaches or – well, I had, I again, another one of my goals had been to get a full ride to college, and I was offered a couple full rides, but they were really far away, or it was Division Two. so I, I ended up picking Lock Haven just because, <laughs> if anyone knows Lock Haven Wrestling or, or college coaching, Rocky Bonomo was, was my coach at Lock Haven, and I, my other coach was Carl Poff, but Rocky Bonomo developed into one of my favorite people that I've ever met. He's hilarious. Him and his twin brother, they act like they're 14 years old, to be honest. But it was a combination of of rock and poff and just the small atmosphere. You know, at that time, I wasn't mentally tough enough to go to Penn State and wrestle with the big dogs. Right. Why do you th- – just because of, like, what happened in high in school hi- or – In yeah. hindsight, I know that now okay. because I know where I'm at mentally now right. and where I wasn't at back okay. then. That's awesome that you kind of realized that. Um Okay, so what was your favorite memory from your college wrestling career? At Nationals, my senior year, in the round of 16, to get into the round of – so round of 16, you have to win two more times to become an All-American. And to get to the round of 16 is a big deal. To get to the round of 12 is an even bigger deal. And I remember I was wrestling a kid from Hofstra who, again, should have beaten me. I, I beat several kids that should have beaten me. And I remember there was about 40 seconds left. And I had reversed them or taken them down, won a scramble. That put me up by three or four points. And it was essentially, I'm not going to lose this match now. So in the kind of the very end of this scramble, I looked over at my coach and I started smiling because I knew that I won. And I was looking at him like totally out of the match. And he said, get in the match, (laughs) wrestle, keep wrestling. So that was a memory that sticks out. All right, cool. Um, Talk about your where when you started to get this desire. So you, you did you study um, like education at school to become a, a Spanish teacher? Yep, yeah, secondary ed Spanish and my goal. And then what, what ended up happening is I went back home to my hometown and got a Spanish teaching job and the assistant wrestling coach position. All right. Um, and then at this point in time, you, you started to get these feelings of like you needed a, a greater purpose, right? Um, can you talk about how you got onto the show, Pros versus Joes, and um, how that all went down? Yeah, and a lot of people 
it's funny. Most people don't even know that pros versus Joe's happened, but then some people, that's the only thing they know that happened, and they don't know the UFC happened oh, in okay. my life. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. So with the the with pros versus Joe's, I was coaching wrestling. We went to a coach's clinic in Ohio, filled out some paperwork. Through that, I got some junk mail, and this turned out to not be junk mail. This turned right. out to be the, the 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 spark of my professional fighting career. But I ended up going out to Los Angeles playing against. 10 professional athletes in a variety of sports, ended up winning, won some money, won a car, came home. And when I got home, I was like, I can do this. I can compete. I need to find something to compete in. And, you know, that was kind of leading into fighting. It was like, that's the only thing I can do is grab people and throw them down. Right. What was your favorite memory from from pros versus Joes? And I know – you you had to try to tackle Herschel Walker. Yeah. What was it like that? Were well, you, were I mean, you freaking it didn't, out or? it didn't even happen really because we were we so he was running down the sideline and we were coming at a forty five degree angle right uh, to try to tackle him, but it didn't even happen. I barely even touched his thigh, but I just remember when I did touch his thigh, thinking, "Holy crap, yeah. these things are rocks." This is just from doing eight hundred pushups yeah. a day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I I believe that he did do them because he's right. it, it, super tough. But from there, I, I talked a little bit of smack to Goldberg, the wrestler Goldberg. You mentioned that in your book, yeah. yeah. And he laid into me, man. And it like, he was, was he serious or he, he was like, well? I thought he was serious. Oh, yeah, it yeah. was. It was during the filming, and he was serious, telling me he was gonna destroy me and this and that. And I'm a little pipsqueak, etc. Like, oh my god. <laughs> yeah. And then afterwards, I, I essentially ran up to him. I was like, dude, I'm. I was just doing it for the camera. He's like, ah, kid, don't worry about it. I was just, I was just playing it up. And I was okay. like, ah, oh, thank God. <laughs> yeah, don't kill me. <laughs> That's funny. <clears throat> um, all right. So you you have you you won. Uh, pros versus Joes, and then you came back for like another show they were doing with all the winners, right? Yep. And then you won that one. So, yeah. yeah. What, what was that experience like? It was awesome. I got to bring my brother with me, and uh, you know we have the video, and we'll show our our daughters when they're older. It's really funny, That's but cool, yeah. it was awesome, and that really started the relationship between my brother and I. He, he's played a big role in my career. Yeah, you talk about him a lot in your book. And what was what you you call him? It's Chad. Chad, but, yeah. But so, like it has that capital A. Yeah, it's uh, so it stands for Chief Advisor. Oh, okay. So gotcha, I just gotcha. take the take the uh, you know the Chief and the Advisor. Gotcha. And put them Chad, together. I like it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. When I was reading, I was like, wait. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I get it now, though. Um, okay, so now let's talk about your transition to um, MMA, and then eventually making it to the UFC. And just to give you some background on my knowledge of UFC, it's very minimal. Yep. Um, partially because I find it hard to watch with what my head has exactly. gone through. I hear you. And I, I just don't like seeing guys get their you. heads beaten. Um, but I took an interest, you know, w- with th- this interview. Yeah, so that's a very understandable thing. And, and I I tell the, ex- the example often. My, my dad's dad, who grew up in a small town in Pennsylvania, grew up on a farm, and they're the most – you know, conservative people in the world. So explaining to them what I was doing and why I was doing it, right? It, you know, it took some, I wouldn't say persuasion, but it took some understanding on their end to, to be okay with it. And, but whenever I was searching for that sense of purpose you were talking about when I was teaching, sorry, that was my dog, <laughs> my dog playing around. When I was searching no for worries. that sense of purpose, I, like I said, the only thing I knew how to do was wrestle and be physical. And I didn't have that anymore. Right. And the sport was coming up, and, and a friend of mine, Frankie Edgar, had, had just signed with the UFC, and I thought, man, maybe I can do that. And I did it. You know, not a lot of people do that. Not a lot of people say, I want to do it and then do it. But right. I just, I couldn't not do it. Put yeah. it that way. The, 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 
the regret, not even the regret, man, just the power, the persuasion of not doing it was more than I could bear. Right. So I had to do it. And, you know, I just took the proper steps and moved to New York or New Jersey and trained in New York, New Jersey. And, and that's where it all began. All right. Um, I know you, you said that some people uh, were, would hate on you yeah. on like Twitter and stuff. Yeah. What was some of the worst things that people said to you? And like, how did you react to that? So it's a, it's a, you know, if you are one of those people, stop being one of those people because it's uh, it's no good for anyone involved. Right, right. But, I mean, I've gotten everything, man. I've gotten, like, he doesn't deserve. I was actually told, not to me, but by way of someone else, uh, right. straight from the boss, that I'd rather watch paint dry than watch Charlie fight. <laughs> what? Or I'd rather scratch my eyeballs out than watch yeah, Charlie fight. Yeah, it doesn't fight. feel good, yeah. No. And then on social media... Just everything, man. You're worthless. You're terrible. You suck. You're you don't deserve to be in the UFC. You're you're the worst fighter ever in the UFC. Right. And, and you you talked about how like you need to promote yourself, right? Like it's important to promote yourself as yep. um, an MMA athlete because no one's going to do it for you, right? Yep. So it's not like you can ignore social yep. media. It's like you can't always yeah, get away with it. Yeah. And, and you know, th there's people. My wife, you know, she'll say, ah, "I wish I'd get off Facebook. I'm going to delete Facebook." And then I say, "Yeah, me too." But I kind of can't because yeah. it's how I promote myself. So. Right. I've gotten uh, honestly, I it, I pay no mind to it anymore because I I hit rock bottom, where it just got to me so much that there, again there was no choice. Okay, I just have to stop caring now. Right, stop caring. Sometimes that's all you got to do. Um, all right, so let's talk. We kind of touched on this before about your brother. Um, talk about the importance of your family and the support system over your career, because I know just based off of some of the other interviews that I've done in the past, a support or support system is like one of the most important things that you could have. Either you know when you, whatever obstacle you come across, if you get an injury or something like that. Um, so can you talk about that? Yeah, they my my family especially. See, not everyone's not everyone is as fortunate as I am to have a a, a family. You know, to have a great it's family, true, yeah. to have that support system. But there are other ways. There are other people that you can get that support from. So I don't, you know, I don't think it's a valid excuse to say, "Well, I, I don't have parents," or "I, I mind this." There's ways to if you really truly want to do it. There's ways to do it, and. You know, for me, it was my parents, but I've had some great coaches. I've had some great – anymore, and this is what I tell young people, anymore, the, the internet. You can have mentors. You could pretty much be mentored by any professional athlete by getting on YouTube, getting online, reading all of their interviews, watching all of their videos, consuming their books, following their podcasts. It's like the, you're, you, 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 right. you surround yourself with that network. Exactly. So whether they're face-to-face -face direct or it's indirect, you can make it happen. Right. And a lot of times like how I started getting into podcasts too, it's like you always hear that like you have to surround – you become the average of the five people that yeah. you hang out with most, right? So I found podcasts as a way to surround myself with people exactly. who are going to bring me up, right? And you're so, lucky. <laughs> you're lucky for that. Is exa yeah, exactly. And it's free, right? Yep, exactly. Um, and you spend a lot of time in the car, so I'm sure you yeah. you did the same thing. Um, all right, let's start talking about some of the injuries that you've had um, over your career. So did you have injuries just as like a high school athlete or anything like that that kind of gave you any setbacks? Or? Not really. When I was six, I jumped off my bunk bed and broke my leg. Oh, jeez. Uh, <laughs> that was about it. And then, no, going through, you know, elementary all the way up through college. Oh, I, I tore my uh, MCL. No, my meniscus. Tore my meniscus in college. Okay. It was so inconsequential. I didn't even remember that it was my right, meniscus. Right. But, yeah, that, that was the only real injury that I had. Okay. Um, so when you started to fight MMA, um, you shattered your eye socket, right? Yeah. Um, so can you talk <clears throat> about that injury? You don't have to go into details. Maybe more so 
the aftermath and not being able to work out and train and what that kind of felt. Because um, you go from, you know, doing two-a-days to doing really nothing. nothing. Yeah, yeah, it's like how do you handle that? <clears throat> yeah, that was a big deal for me because it was the first, you know, major injury after my knee, you know. And that was the first instance where I thought, oh, man, maybe I can't fight anymore because I didn't know how bad it was. I didn't right. know what a shattered eye socket. Man, I didn't know... I didn't know anything. So it was the first, like, uh, my mortality as a fighter was struck. Right. And then just not being able to do anything. I, you know, I couldn't fight, but I, I had to do something. I had to make a living. And I, I was working construction for a friend of mine who has a business. I remember I was up on scaffolding. It was probably 40 feet high. And I had straight double vision. And I'm walking on the scaffolding, looking down that silver scaffolding. Because of the injury, right? Because of the yeah. injury. And I'm seeing two of these planks. And I'm li literally 40 feet in the air. And I'm thinking, like, what am I doing? Yeah. And guys, like, down on the ground, guys are throwing, like, uh, shingles at me. And I can't, I have no depth perception. Right. I can't see what's coming my way. Close one eye. Yeah. Well, eventually, <laughs> yeah, I caught on to that. But so that was a, a big deal. And that was a rough, uh, you know, that was a rough aftermath. Yeah. When I had my first head surgery, <laughs> I had double vision after that, too. And it's like one of those things you're like, is this ever going to go away? Yeah. Like, it's kind of scary. And did you have any restrictions put on your driving? Um, no. About a year or two ago, I had this like seizure episode where they restricted my driving for a while, but then they kind of figured out that it wasn't like an epileptic episode. Yep. It was more so because I have brain damage, like I passed out. So like I have a history of when I get sick <clears throat> and throw up mm -hmm. that I pass out, but now I just throw up, pass out and have a seizure because yep. like that's just how my neurons are firing yeah. or whatever. Um, but yeah, I've that's a, it's a scary place to be for sure. Um, so speaking of concussions, yep. um, what kind of concussions did you have? I know you suffered. You talked about one in your book, yeah. and I'd like to kind of talk about how you handled that versus how I handled that. And yeah, as a good I, example for athletes. So I think about this a lot, and I try to think back through my whole everything, my life. You know, wrestling. You know, wrestling is a, a rough sport too. And then, and right. then, you know, I played high school football, then professional fighting. So I think about it a lot documented that was my only documented concussion when i got knocked out I'm, right. I'm confident i've had a couple more that that were undocumented like what kind of instances like that you remember like what do you experience to be honest well okay so one when i got kicked by anthony johnson that that i'm guessing yeah <laughs> and then uh probably one or two of my other fights i didn't really have many follow-up symptoms the anthony johnson one i woke up in the middle of the night and the room was spinning right so i kind of thought okay this is Something's not up normal yeah. something's Something's not good right now. Right. Um, and the other ones, to be honest, I'm just assuming because I've lived a, a rough life. Right. I mean, like when I, I know when I think back to what a because when I get, when I had my initial concussion, I didn't know what a concussion yeah. was. Like it was 2007. No one talked about it. And but now that I know what a concussion yeah. is, like I've had like Thinking at back, least yeah. 20 because yeah. like seeing stars and yeah. double vision. Like I would make tackles sometimes. And I'd get up and I'd see two of everything for like 10 seconds. Yep. So I'm like, yeah, oh, maybe like my helmet came down on yep. my eyes or something. But yeah, it's, there's been a lot, of, many, many times that that's happened. Um, so do you ever worry about your body? And like, I know you said like sometimes you don't take fights if you, you play that like risk, you yep. know, benefit type thing. Yeah. And I mean, it, this is, it, this is good. I like talking about it. It's uncomfortable to talk about it. And that should be kind of a, not a lesson, but a, a maybe a, just a reference for, right. for people where, where they're at and what they choose to do. And I don't regret anything I've done. And I've, I've lived my life in a way. It's funny. I try to, people tell me what I do is crazy and what I do is, is insane. In the meantime, they're 
50 pounds overweight, drinking a soda, smoking a cigarette. Right. So I try to Sitting mitigate. Sitting at desk all day or something. Yeah. <laughs> I, I try to mitigate my risk in life as much as possible outside of fighting because I know that my fighting is high risk. Right. You know? So I, I try to live as simple and easy and non harmful to my body and my brain not drinking, outside yeah, of correct yeah, yeah. not drinking not smoking not going out getting plenty of sleep drink plenty of water um but you know following following when i did get knocked out and i just had a headache from 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 hell and it was terrible and i and i was started thinking i was laying on this couch right here and my my in-laws had to walk in the door they had to pick up my daughter and they were looking at me and i just thought like what is this and i'm writhing in pain on my couch and just thinking like and what am I doing to myself? Right. And it's, it's you know, it's certainly difficult to to think about and to talk about. But like I said, I don't I don't regret anything. I don't regret it at right. all. And you, I don't regret playing football. Yeah. Right. You know, it's it's part of my journey. It's part of my path. But at the same time, it's something that I'm aware of. I think people should be. I think people should be aware of. It's my dog again. I think it's something. Mailman. Yeah, any, <laughs> anyone who's walking by. But, uh, you know, when I did get knocked out, and that was a, a, a real deal concussion, that's what really, really shook me and really made me aware. Right. Can you talk about what steps you took after to recover Perfect. from that? Because um, I think that's definitely something that I didn't do and why mine was as severe as it was when I had that second impact syndrome. Um, so I think your experience that, that you did, um, is a good example to how for young athletes on yeah. how they should handle. Absolutely. And the, the, the way I handled that concussion is similar to the way I handle everything in my life. So I listen to Dave Ramsey a lot and he talks about having a, this account and that account, bank account, and that account, right. you know, I have like five different plan B set up for basically everything I do. So when I got knocked out like that, you know, I heard, I think one of my, I think my neurologist said don't do anything for a month and maybe another one I heard about a month as well and you see a lot of guys professional fighting a lot of guys in MMA just kind of getting right back at it and I literally literally didn't lift a muscle for a month like nothing get up eat breakfast sit on the couch it wasn't a very bright spot in my life yeah but I just didn't do it and then when I did start working out another probably two months of just like jogging jogging and like push-ups and kind of getting back into it and it was a good four months until I started sparring again because I was just so I was so paranoid I was so overly paranoid of what had happened and what could happen and right. I went through you know I had to get MRIs and, and I uh you know the, the following a concussion there's bruising on your brain you have to make sure that heals so it was it was very real and it was very scary and for the second time I thought you know what can I never fight again am I able to one, am I allowed to fight? And two, am I going to want to fight? Right. I remember, like, after I had my head surgery, I remember my dad was sitting right there. And my head was hurting me so freaking bad from the surgery. I was like, I'm never playing football again. Like, this hurts so bad. <laughs> but once it healed up, I was like, yeah. I miss playing football. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, all right. So that kind of goes into what we're talking about, too. So um, how important is it to listen to your body as an athlete? Because I know for myself, like, only I knew that my head was killing me. Yeah. I chose not to tell anyone. Yep. So how important is it for athletes to listen to what they're doing and take a more, um, what's the word, conservative approach to you know, healing themselves um, like that? Yeah, it's extremely, uh, extremely important. So two, you know, two references to that. 
one, it's very difficult when you are a young athlete. When I say young, I'm saying high school and even college, to be honest, a not professional athlete. To tell a kid, you know, a 16-year-old, listen to your body, that's like a double-edged sword because they obviously need to look out for themselves. But I don't necessarily think kids are mature enough to know. And I'm not talking about brain. I'm talking about like yeah, anything, we're tired. Exactly, yeah. I'm tired today. I'm listening to my body. You hear a lot of people say I'm listening to my body. Right. Young people don't always – it's a fine line between like, come on, are you like being a wimp here or are you like really right. listening to your body? So I don't know the answer to that. In terms of sometimes you just know, I think that overrides all of that. Right. Sometimes you just know. When I when – I, we haven't talked about it yet, but when I had a, a stroke – I just knew. I knew. I went to a doctor. They said it was uh, vertigo. Um, you know, the people around me were like kind of saying like, oh, well, you look okay. You look good. You know, you probably just give it some more time. But I knew, man. Something was wrong. Yeah. I knew more than it. More than any doctor, more than any anything, I knew that there was a problem in my brain. Right. And that reminds me of like sometimes you just know. Like I tell when I tell my story. The day that I had the second impact syndrome, I was sitting out at gym class because my head was hurting me so bad. But I still had to walk around the, the track for our warm-up or whatever. I was telling my friends, the day I was about to go play a football game, that I was definitely going to die that night because my head was hurting me so bad. So, like, that was a good indication of, like, yeah, something. something yeah, I knew something was wrong yeah. and I didn't say anything. And that's why, you know, touching on what I said earlier, I mean, you were a kid, right? 17, But yeah. you knew. Yeah. So, I, there's no – I don't know the answer to what I was saying. I don't know – uh a way other than better testing, other than Sometimes, more conservative yeah, measures. Out, yeah. um, all right, so now you want to talk about the, the stroke situation? Um, you also don't have to uh, because I don't want to give away too much of your book here. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, I'll keep it, you know, I'll keep it on the surface. But, yeah, I, I was getting ready to, to hop on the subway and go into New York to train. And I went to the bathroom in the morning and I turned around and the, the world just started spinning. Right. And it didn't stop spinning for four days. And I had no idea what was going on. At the end of the fourth day, you know, and there's de I detail it in my book, but at the end of that fourth day, I, I basically willed myself, you know, get up, get up. And my wife and I got married later in that later, you know, eight months later. But we had to go look at the wedding location. So I got in my car and I drove home. And I remember driving home. Like, you know, turning, I'm, I'm turning, you can't see me, but I'm like turning to look for traffic. And I remember it was just like, whoom, whoom. Every time I would turn my head, it was like, I'm, I'm sure you know what I'm talking about, yeah. but it was just like that, like, whoom, nausea and just like that powerful, like, bam. And I sat through the meeting at, at our wedding location and, and like, my mother-in-law was like, why did he drive? And my wife is like, you're not driving home. And I'm like, no, I'm okay. I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, of course I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. <laughs> and then, you know, sitting on it for a couple more days. I just I remember I was sitting on my couch and I was like, Dad, I'm not right. right. I'm not right. I need to I need to get an MRI. All right. Yeah, it's definitely scary and definitely go check out his book to find you know, find out all the details about that experience. Um so you talk a ton about your training volume in your book. And like when I'm reading it, I was like, How the hell is this guy doing what he does every single day? Yeah. Um, can you talk about how you like recovered like what'd you do to recover like yeah drinking a lot of water sleeping right like what what did you do to be able to handle that training volume you know i think a couple things one i certainly didn't recover as well as i should have i didn't i didn't 
have the proper nutrition and I didn't have, I, I probably did have the proper rest, but I, I certainly didn't have the proper nutrition. And kind of my motto, which doesn't really necessarily make sense completely is I try, I redline it. Like I redline it in my training. I redline it in my, my attitude and my, my, my drive. I just right. redline it. And it's almost like I'm redlining it till the wheels fall off. And sometimes yeah. <laughs> the, 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 the wheels haven't fallen off. Like current day, we were talking a little bit before the interview. I, you know, I'm, I'm not officially retired. There's a good chance that I w- won't fight again, but maybe I will fight again. So how do I live my life? Well, I get up every morning at five o'clock. I go for a 30 minute interval run at six o'clock because, you know, maybe I will Who fight. Knows, yeah. I want to be ready. You know, right. that, that's how I lived my life. So it was always that I, I'm, I touched on earlier, but I'm I'm afraid of not being prepared. Right. So I over prepare. And you talk about that a lot in your book too. And that was some of my favorite parts of that book are just like doing the little things right yep. always. You know, Every that day. that eventually will add up and, and pay off in the long run. And the biggest the biggest night of my, my professional fighting career and one of the biggest nights of my life when I fought Rick's story, I go into detail about it. But I mean it was all it was all how I lived my the previous twenty years. Right. It had nothing to do with you know, I mean, it had a little bit to do with that night, but the fight was won in the 20 years prior to that week. Right. That's awesome. And yeah, definitely read the book for that story alone. That was by far like the, the biggest highlight and the biggest like aha moment type thing, especially yep. for any young athlete who reads that just to like live your life the right way. Like yep. don't go to the party, you know, on the, you know, the, the night after the game or whatever, like, yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm sure you're not perfect. You know, neither of oh, us, exactly. nobody yeah. is, yeah, yeah. but. It's like the things that I've experienced, I teach either the things I've done that work right. or the things I didn't do that I should have done. Right. So I'm coming at it from both angles. But at the end of the day, these are the things that you should do. Right. All right. Awesome. Um, do you think that it's bad for athletes to find an identity in a sport? Because I know that's what I did. And I think that's why when I was told I couldn't play football anymore, why I struggled for so long i struggled for probably like four years after that trying to find like what the hell do i do yeah. now you know i think no i think absolutely to be a to be an extremely successful athlete to be right. the best in the world um you have to, your identity has to be in your sport right fully I, immersed like all in absolutely yeah. i mean if you look at all the top athletes they are it they right. are their sport caveat to that I think they're, and this is why my passion is working with young athletes, young, and when I say young, I mean I'm 35, so a 25-year-old athlete's a young athlete to me. Right. But is when you get to that 20, 21, 22, or in your, later in your professional career, there needs to be instruction. There needs to be, I don't want to necessarily say courses, but there needs to be people who teach those people that what transition, to do. That transition, yeah. Yeah, because I'm, I'm living it right now, and I'm transitioning. And when I get on stage and I speak to, to a room full of, of young athletes or, or even uh, corporate, corporate in a corporate setting, man, I love it. And I get emotional, and I walk off that stage, and I'm, 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 I, feel, I feel as good about myself as I did coming off the wrestling mat or the, out of the cage. Right. So I think it's extremely important. You know, you need to, if you want to be the best, if you have a standard of excellence, I, I personally feel you almost have to be immersed in that culture. Right. But the danger is not having a plan for when it's over. Right. And you see that in professional sports all the time. And it's, it's a sad thing to see. But like I said, there needs to be an infrastructure to teach 
okay, hey man, you're, you're 22 years old. Your wrestling career is over. Let's look at your let's look at your attributes. Let's look at your assets. Yeah, where you good at? Where are you going to fill that void? You know, when you're in the working world, right? How are you going to do that? Yeah, I I interned at the NFL Players Association um, when I was in grad school, and that's part of the reason why I even went to Georgetown is because I wanted to go to DC and intern at the NFL PA so I could help out with health and safety stuff. And they have a program um, called the Tr they have this Players Trust. I have a couple of friends that actually work there now, and they help the athletes transition to life after yep. football with whatever it may be, whether it's like getting physically fit again after they gained a lot of weight, or whether it's starting a business or they're fine like dealing with their finances. So it seems like that seems to be the trend, and that yep. seems to be people are paying more attention to that aspect of being an athlete. Yep. And I think in the past it hasn't you know even been a thought for yeah. a lot of people um i'm kind of interested to hear about um what the physical exams are before a ufc match um just like what they they test out and stuff so the the physicals before the fight so we have to get leading up to the fights after you're talking about the health stuff uh yeah leading up to the fights you have to get and every fight is different uh, every state is different it all operates on states and okay and Generally, you have to get an MRI, not before every fight, certainly. But I was going to say, I'm like, that's... No, certainly no. It, it's, normally, it's three years. Sometimes it's one year. Oh, okay. Follow-up. Well, this is all lead, leading up to the fight. So you generally have to get a, uh, an MRI once, once. I think it was every three years. Three years. An ophthalmology eye exam from an ophthalmologist, not an optometrist. There's a difference. Don't know what it is, but you got to go to an ophthalmologist. you got to get your blood work. So there's a trio of blood work you have to get done. And a general physical. So I believe that's it leading up to it. So then you get on site. Oh, that's it? Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so the, And also, that costs money. And when you're not fighting... Oh, you got to pay for that? Yes. What? Yep. That is so messed up. Well, you got to pay for it. Yep. That is so messed up. And MRIs are not cheap. Yeah. So, uh... I mean, yeah. I, work at a, I work in a hospital system, so I know what you're talking about. Well, if yeah. I got to get another MRI, I'm coming to you <laughs> and I'm saying, how do I get one for free? I got to learn how to do it. <laughs> um, so, uh... That's that's that, and then you get on site for the week of the fight, and I'm I'm referencing the UFC just because that's that's the biggest, and generally there it's just a quick uh, your heart rate, blood pressure, eyesight, reflexes, you know, and that's pretty it, and you fill out a, a general questionnaire, much of what you have already filled out on your your physical test, go there, um, follow up, you sit down, you you look at the guys, and this is like I think there's room to improve here. You know when I when I got knocked out by uh, Castillo, they I don't think they sent me to the I chose when I got home to go to the hospital. I called and said, "Hey, I, I'd like to go get an MRI." They took care of it, um, but they they sometimes they make you go. You know if you're still fuzzy after the fight or something, right. they'll make you go. But generally, it's you know how many fingers am I holding up? What's my name? Where you at? Uh, it's it's pretty quick. Is there like athletic trainers like on? Well, they have doctors. They have they have okay. doctors, um, like certified doctors. And um, the uh, the UFC has a doctor, Jeff Davidson, who's like super super knows his stuff when it comes to this right, type right, of right. of uh, you know sports combat and trauma, et cetera. Right, but doctors aren't always like prepared for emergency medical care. So what? Like I, I guess and there's like well, an ambulance have, yeah, and stuff. Yeah. And it's a, it's a, I mean, the UFC is a different scenario because that's top of the line, best of the best. There's, I mean, I'm sure there's several ambulances, et cetera, but there's doctors, there's ambulance, et cetera. The smaller shows are required to have an ambulance on site. Right. So something that happens that you don't think about, someone gets hurt, got taken to the hospital. They got to hit pause on the show until the ambulance gets back. 
Oh, gotcha. Because they can't operate without an ambulance there. So more than once in a while. Yeah, that happens, I guess. Yeah. I mean, an athletic trainer saved my life. So that's yeah. why I you know, was wondering what kind of emergency medical services are, are available. Um, let's talk about the culture of toughness in UFC and, and MMA. Because uh, I know like in football, like part of the reason why I didn't say that my head hurt is because I didn't want people to think I was soft. Yep. You know, so, you know. Do people, is it common to like play through in, or, or uh, fight through injuries and stuff like that? Or is that expected? Or Yeah, I would say it's it's definitely common. I don't know that it's the same reasoning, though. I, I know me personally, you know, there's a thing in MMA that, that if you tap, then you're you're a wimp. Yeah, I wrote that down in my, my notes. Yeah, like. I don't I don't know, man. It's like, guys, I'm 35 years old. I'm a man. I, if you think I'm a wimp, you think I'm a wimp. You right, know, it right. really doesn't matter to me. I'm going to do what's best right. for me and my family. So. You know, there's that element, but but in terms of fighting through injuries, absolutely. But like I said, not necessarily because you're concerned about am I a wimp? They're gonna say whatever, but it's because it's your job and it's how you make money. Right. And if you're if you're gonna make fifty grand next month, you're sure as hell gonna freaking find a way. And you get a concussion, and you got to pay your bills. I mean, a lot of guys are because there's no guaranteed money, right? Never. Yeah. Nothing. Just like it's kind of like football. Like there's not a lot of guaranteed money, and I think that's part of the reason why guys would play hurt and stuff like yep. that because, I mean, they could lose their job the next yep. day, you know, because yep. they're pretty dispensable, I guess. Um, all right, can you talk about what uh, cutting weight has done for you over the years, like in terms of what you learned? Cause what it's done for me. I think that's the whole reason why, like, I've literally played every sport growing up, but the I think the one reason why I never wrestled yeah. is because, like, I just liked eating. So Yeah. Yeah, cutting weight, it's funny. I've never heard it put that way, what it's done for me. Well, what it's done for me is make me a damn mentally tough person. That's yeah, that's what, what I want to talk me. about, yeah. It, uh, you know, I'll tell a funny story. One time my wife and I were driving, this was before we were married, and, you know, there's a thing in wrestling that my friends and I used to play. It's a play. You know, the night before a match, we're all laying there miserable, just miserable and so hungry, so thirsty. And we say, like, all right, man, would you rather have a briefcase full of <laughs> – tax-free million dollars or drink a 32-ounce Gatorade. And we're like, ah, Gatorade, man, I swear I, yeah. I need a Gatorade. So it's terrible. I don't even remember how terrible it was because it was so long ago. But What's your what's your favorite Gatorade uh, flavor? Uh, 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 no, uh, Fierce Grape. Okay. Used to be Riptide Rush. Now it's Fierce Grape. Gotcha. Uh, but anyway, one day we're driving, and it's it's like, you know, it's pretty hot outside. It's summer day, and my wife was like, you can't, I don't know if you can hear me. Yeah. Doing that with her mouth. She's like, ah. Oh. So dry. Yeah. She was like, have you, and she was serious and she looked at me and she was like, have you ever been like so thirsty that your mouth is just like, oh. Yeah. And you can't even, and I looked at her and I was like, you have no idea. Are you kidding me? <laughs> and like, just from my look, she realized, like, oh, oh. right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I'm like, yes, honey, I've had many, many nights. But that's funny. You learn how to, you learn how to uh, control your body. It's funny. I could, when I made 155 for the first time, I woke up the morning before weighing 169 completely unworried because I knew the system. I knew I had hydrated. I knew I was going to work out this time, that time, that time. Right. I knew I'd lose a pound and a half overnight. I knew I'd wake up, drink tea, do this, that. Like you just – it's a part – It's it's to me, it's so simple that I forget it's even a system and I forget that the average person doesn't you've know. you've done it so much, yeah. yeah. Um, it's funny that you said Gatorade because – when I was in the hospital, and they didn't do surgery on me that night. They, like, waited a couple of days because they wanted to see if it would kind of go away on its own because they didn't want to drill into my whole my head for no reason. Yeah. But I had just played a, a half of a football game, 
I was like dehydrated and then I couldn't drink anything or eat anything for a couple of days. And I remember everyone that came into the room, I was like, all I want is an ice cold glass of yellow Gatorade. That's yeah. all I want. <laughs> so I know exactly what That's you're talking funny about. You say yellow Gatorade. Yeah, yellow Gatorade specifically. Honey, with my daughter, I say, honey, what, 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 uh, what flavor pops who do you want? Uh, pur- uh, purple. Purple, like, yeah. It's great, honey. It's great. <laughs> the flavor's great. Yeah, we know. Everyone knows what, it, what, what the colors mean. Um, okay. So in terms of injury recovery and overcoming obstacles, which is what a lot of our audience um, is coming to us for, you, you said in your book, this, this is the one quote that I pulled out of it, um, one of many awesome stuff that's in there. I'm just saying I didn't want to take too much yep, stuff out I of your you. book. Um, you say that you control your mind. Um, your mind doesn't control you. And I always say on this show that, you know, you can't control what happens to you in life, but you can always control how you respond. So can you, you know, say something about, you know, that quote and in terms of, you know, getting over injuries and stuff like that? Yeah, I'm responsible for the greatest success of my athletic career and I'm responsible for the greatest failure of my athletic career. And it all came came down to the train of my train of thought and what I what I believed was possible when right. when I when I lost my second state title. I knew I was going to, I knew it. It's hard for me to say it's cowardly, but I knew I was going to lose. I knew I was going to lose. I knew at that time I knew my fate was to be a two-time loser. I just knew it and it happened. And then when I fought Rick Story, who was number six in the world and I wasn't given a chance, a chance in heck, I knew I was going to win. I, I could have shut my eyes and won that fight because I just knew it. I just felt right. it. I believed it. I think every athlete's experienced that <laughs> at some point in their career that like, the state of flow or whatever yeah. where you're just like yeah. you're just, and what it comes yeah. down to is is in in look doing everything right busting your butt living the best life possible does not guarantee success never ever ever is there a guarantee of success but there is a guarantee that if you choose the alternative of not living life right of not busting your butt of not preparing of not dedicating there's no way in hell you're going to succeed right it's like if there's only a .05 chance it's going to happen, it's only going to happen if you choose the alternative of busting your butt. Exactly. That's good advice. Um, what was the greatest obstacle that you have that you came across in, throughout your career, whether it be high school, college, UFC, um, and how, how did you ultimately get over it? You know, this. There, I could go a, a lot of different directions with this, but I'll kind of focus on, on one that I, I talk a lot about in my book. So the biggest obstacle for me ever since I started training for, for mixed martial arts and to get in the UFC, it's never been easy. I've had to travel. I've had to leave home. I've had to, you know, I used to drive. I mean, I've done it multiple times, but I drove when I was living in East Stroudsburg, Pennsylvania, I would drive to Philly. Which the Princeton be... of the Poconos, as my football coach used to call it. He went there. <laughs> That's good. Uh, side note here, I'm the second most notable person to graduate from East Stroudsburg University behind James Franklin. Oh, yeah? The, the, is there like a list? Uh, yeah, on Wikipedia. Go awesome, to East yeah. Stroudsburg University. I went to grad I'll, school there. I'll, I'll link that up. Yep. Yeah. Um, Sport management guy, too, just like all me. All right. Yep. So my biggest obstacle was that traveling. I, I would drive two and a half hours to train for an hour to drive two and a half hours home. It's crazy. Because I just, I, I wanted, I, I, I never lost focus on my vision, what I wanted. But at the same time, my family was so important to me. So I just, I did them both at the same time. I, I lived both. And it, it got me to where I've gotten, which is pretty good. But I just, uh. It was never easy. And even present day, like uh, to train with, with world champions, to train with black belts, I have to travel an hour and a half, two hours. And it's 
it's not easy, but but I chose to do it. I'm not using that as an excuse or a crutch. I own what I do and my choices I've made, but I dream. I I dream. If anyone out there would like to own me, uh, uh, loan me like a hundred grand uh, to pay guys in here to train with me in Harrisburg, <laughs> I will gladly appreciate it. I dream of walking out my door, driving five miles, training, driving home, yeah, resting. Yeah. Just didn't happen. So that's an obstacle that I I dealt with and I, I handled and I endured. And you know, I think I think I did all right with it. Awesome. Yeah, a lot of your support system had a lot to do with that, but we'll let people read about that in your in your book. Um, so for life after sports, what advice would you give to athletes who either it was their senior night and they're done playing or they suffer a career-ending injury and they no longer can play anymore? The biggest thing, that, I mean, I get chills when you ask that question because as, as, as my passion when I was young was wrestling and then my passion was fighting in the UFC and now I'm, I'm, I'm kind of combining two passions because I haven't lost that passion right. but now I have this new one it's it's do, it's answering that question that you just asked me like how can I help these young guys who are going to feel just like I felt yeah I mean I still feel that way yeah. Yeah. yeah so so I mean you're doing it you're doing it right now you're in this is a backtrack so what I would advise to them and, and to you to continue to do is so you have all these qualities and skills that made you who you are that made you a, a good athlete. It made you... From playing sports, yeah. From playing stuff, sports, yeah. all right? So what I did is I wrote them down, and I developed a curriculum. Okay, these are my success principles. These are what I call me, my personally, elements of excellence. So when I work with a kid, when I talk to a group, whether it's high school or whether it's a corporation, I teach them my system of living. Right. So then it's like, all right, what is that system of living? What are you good at? What are your assets? You know, what can you do? What did you learn from your sport? Then you, through process of elimination, find something else that excites you, that attracts you, that, that you have passion for. And then you apply that, those skills, that curriculum to that new, that new um, facet, and you go at it, you know, 100%. All right. I like that. Um, so before we get to the last three questions, I want to know what you think about New Jersey because you spent a lot of time in the state that I grew up in. I did spend some time. It in, gets a bad rap a lot of time. But I did spend some time in Dirty Jersey. Um, <laughs> I will say, you know, some of my best friends, some of my closest friends are from New Jersey. And I, I, I'm, while it is very, very different from where I'm from, I don't have any real complaints other than – you know, I was spe I was speaking in Parkway terms and exit this and exit that, and I enjoyed it. The people are are there. There's a couple of different types of people. Yeah. <laughs> I will say that you get a Tread lot. Lightly. <laughs> yeah, you get a lot more smiles in Pennsylvania yeah. than you do in New Jersey. The closer you get to New York, the right. less. I told smiles. you before that when I walked up to your your front porch, I have crutches for those of you who don't know that I had knee surgery a few uh, weeks ago. Um, and some lady just walking down the, the sidewalk was like, do you need help opening the door? I was like, that would never happen yeah. anywhere else. Like my neighbors don't even say that to me. Yeah. Um, but I, I love it, man. I, I had some great friends in, in New Jersey. I still do. And, and I, I made a nice little life there for a few years. Awesome. Um, so what are your current goals for the future for yourself? So, you know, Tony Robbins, you've heard yeah, of Tony yeah, yeah, Robbins. Yeah. I want to be the Tony Robbins of young people. Okay. That's what I want to do. I want to be the, the most sought after youth speaker in the country. I think that's a cool idea too, because it's almost like a guy like Tony Robbins, like you don't even start thinking about him or hearing of him or what he does yep. until you get to exactly. be like our age or yeah, you know, you know what I mean? Like, but you could really learn a ton from, you know, when you're a kid yep. from that kind of stuff. And, and especially, 
you know, when you're transitioning to a, a, a life after sports, you know, yeah. like you're more prepared to deal, like handle those types of situations. And, you know, I want to backtrack a little bit. So that's another thing. We all have a story. You have a story, man. Like you have a great story. You went through hell to get it. But right. it's yours, so own it. Right. So every one of, of you, and when I say you, I mean young athletes out there, you have a, you're, you're living your story every single day. So take notes, write it down. You don't have to write a book, but just keep some notes, experiences, stories. That's what people thrive on. That's what people in the normal world, in the corporate world, thrive on. You got to train with George St. Pierre, or you broke your eye socket, or you were ranked number six in the world, seven in the world. How do you do it? So that's what people want to know. Right. And everyone loves a good story. So Write your stories down. Remember those stories. Start telling them, and before you know it, you're going to have a crowd around you. Awesome. That's really cool. Uh, all right, let's plug your social media, your book, your speaking, everything, yes, anything everything, you're trying to do. Everything I do is on my website, hosted at charlie-brenneman.com. If you have any trouble spelling it, just go to uh, Google, type in Spaniard UFC. It'll come up. The Spaniard. The Spaniard, yeah. It has all my uh, – I tried to get Spaniard.com, but it was like four grand. I was like, no, thanks. Yeah. I'll not do that. Same thing with when I was trying to buy heads and tails stuff from it's like, oh, you could pay twenty thousand yeah. dollars to get hesantails.com. Yeah. Like, no. Yeah, I think not. <laughs> but uh everything's so there. My my social media, Spaniard MMA on Twitter, Spaniard MMA on Snapchat, MMA Spaniard on Instagram and uh Facebook. Just type me in, I'm there. But uh I'll link it all up in my show notes yeah. too. And I blog regularly. I just put one out this morning. It's really thought provoking, insightful, competition based. Um for people who want to do more and do better in life. I love that. I'm going to check that out too. Um, all right, so the last two questions. Uh, what three things are you most grateful for right now? First and foremost, my, my family. And when I say my family, I'll get to my wife and my daughter next. But when I say my family, I mean the six of us. And, and, and I, I, I get emotional when I think about it, but I, I, I'm nothing without my nuclear family, my parents, my, my three siblings. Secondly, I'm... I'm extremely grateful for for where you're sitting right now my house you know my wife and i well my wife <laughs> my wife and daughter and my house collectively right. you know we're we're we live a simple life and, and we do our thing and i'm extremely grateful for that and i'm i'm, I'm, I'm the last thing i'm grateful for is is my burning desire to inspire people, especially young people. So I follow. I could feel that desire yeah, just being around. I, you, yeah. I, I just love it. I follow the rock and like what I want more than anything. When I see the rock, like in a hospital with a young kid or, or the rock with a, a normal guy on the street or whatever, the power that he, not power, but the, the, the influence that he has, that these people just, he makes their day. He right. makes their week. Just by being alive, pretty much, yeah. I want to be that guy. And I don't have to be the right. I don't have to do it in America. Maybe right. I'll just do it in my town. Maybe I'll just do it in Harrisburg. Right. But I just want to I, I want to be that person that, that a young kid or a, 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 a regular person says, dang, I got to meet him. That's awesome. Right. And then it makes them do a little bit better in whatever they do. Cool. That's, that, that's a cool answer. Um, and then last one that I finished all my podcasts with is what's your personal definition of perseverance? Personal definition. If you're a Lewis House guy, that's kind of where I got it from. Yeah, his, What's your uh, definition greatness. of greatness? Yeah. yeah. Personal definition of perseverance. I should have probably prepped this one a little bit. <laughs> but perseverance to me, hmm. I don't want to give just, it like a wrestling a... metaphor or an MMA metaphor. You know, I, I love Rocky. And, and there's the quote in the last Rocky is not how hard you get hit, or it's not. 
you keep getting up and you keep getting up. I know for me in the sport of wrestling, perseverance is, I mean, it is, it is, it is wrestling. I mean, you look at the kids from the NCAAs who, who are losing, man, losing national titles in front of like probably a half a million people on TV. And then you, you, so perseverance to me is looking at your faults, looking at your failures, looking at your setbacks head on and just putting your shoulder down a football reference and just blasting right through them, man. Right. It's, it's, it's accepting your failures. It's accepting, it's looking in the mirror. Perseverance is looking in the mirror and, and seeing, seeing that that hurt. Right. That is caused by these failures and just wiping it off, getting ready and moving forward. I love it. Uh, thank you so much, Charlie, for taking time out of your day to sit down with me and, and tell your story. And for anyone listening to this, definitely go check out his book, Driven. Um, I read it before the interview and I loved it. I swear to God, it's got everything that I could ever possibly want. And like from the story, I was laughing the whole time. You know, I was, it's inspirational and it's got short chapters too. If you're into short chapters like me, it's awesome. Like there's nothing worse than open up a book and see yeah. that you have like 40 pages. You're like, oh God damn, yeah. like makes you like now you want to read yeah. it. And I will say uh, also, I didn't mention that, but the link is on my, on my website. If you just go to my website, uh, click on book, it'll come up. And if you do read the book, if you like the book, reviews are greatly appreciated. Okay. I know, you, I know you know, yeah. and, and I'll reciprocate. I know you know, but reviews are, are, are how Kevin and how myself get seen by more and more people. So cool. I'll keep putting out good content. You guys keep reading and listening. Awesome. Thanks, Spaniard. I appreciate it, dude. Thanks, buddy.